Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to continue where we were this morning, so go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, let's look at the passage we've been looking at. And uh, believe with me now that I can finish this tonight. I want to. I want to close this out. But I've also got a lot to say that I, I think needs to be said. And so I'm, if, you know, if I don't get it all tonight, we'll just come back another time. Amen. Glory to God. We were looking in the 16th verse of Ephesians 4. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by, by what every joint supplies... According to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every part doing its share. And so this morning as we closed out, we were also looking at Romans chapter 12. So let's turn over over there. And uh, we're looking at the sixth verse in particular. Romans 12 verse 6. Having then gifts... Let us use them. Having them gifts doesn't say if you have gifts. There's no if about it. Having them, therefore, you have gifts, so use them. Amen? Well, how do I determine what my gifts are? We pointed out this morning that uh, uh, you'll never find out by doing nothing. Amen? God won't show it to you. He won't reveal it to you. He won't show you what you're you know, perfect will is. That's just not the way it works. He will, he will respond as you put your hand to something. Amen? So uh, you have to start out, we found out you have to start out in the good will of God. Remember, in the latter part of verse 2, says that we may prove or discern, discern, spiritually discern what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We move from the good will of God to the acceptable will of God. And uh, you can stay in the acceptable will of God uh, longer, but eventually God expects us to move into his perfect will. Amen. But you're never going to get into his acceptable will until you start out in his good will. That just means find something to do. Amen. Anything is good. I'm talking about in the church, anything is good. So we talked about getting involved. Uh, Qualify yourself. That might involve sacrifice. It might involve sacrificing your time. It might involve sacrificing something that you really love and enjoy, but you're willing to give that up in order to be a blessing. And I remember when my wife and I, there, and this isn't just a one-time thing. This goes on and on and on. We will always be laying things aside. But I remember if, after we got involved in the church, there in, uh, in, in Jacksonville. And uh, I was elected one year to the, to the uh, church and pastor's council. In a Baptist church, it'd be like the deacon board. We didn't have those. But, uh, and it wasn't like the official governing board of the church. It was just like the, the term suggests, the church and pastor's council. And there was um, seven to ten men, I think, and and uh, historically, had it always been older men in the church. Had been in the church, you know, pillars in the church. And I was twenty, 
eight when we left North Jackson. This was before that. So I was in my mid-twenties. And then the church voted. It was a church vote thing. And the church voted and, and selected me to be on because I had, I was working. I was doing different things, you know, and I was teaching a Sunday school class and I was working with the uh, lay witnessing team and I was over that and I, you know, I helped on Wednesday night and I was teaching men's groups when we had them. And, and, uh, and so, uh, the Lord gave me this opportunity and, uh, you know, I didn't have to do that, but do what I'm about to explain to you. But I did it out of principle, and it involved some sacrifice, and God blessed me. And what I'm talking about was, in our particular denomination, uh, in the Church of God, we, have a, we had a statement of faith, this is what we believe, and then there was, there was something else attached to that called uh, uh, Doctrinal commitments, I think that's what it was called. Some kind of commit, doctrinal commitments, I think, or practical commitments. And said, you know, this isn't necessarily, we don't have really scripture for that, but, but this is what we believe you should and should not do. And so there were things that we were not supposed to be involved in if we were going to be members of the church of God. And one of the things was, and this, is, this goes back to the old holiness days, uh, we didn't believe in worldly pleasures, you know, going out and being entertained with the world. And one of the doctrinal commitments or practical commitments was that we don't go to movies. Well, my wife and I enjoyed going to movies. And uh, we went, you know, to, to movies that were by and large good movies. I might have had, a, you know, some, some language in it here and there, but not, you know, not anything like today. But, you know, we went to basically wholesome movies, but, and we didn't go very often because we were still a young family and we were still growing financially and, and we, we lived, we lived comfortable, but we didn't have a lot left over for just, you know, going out every week, you know. And so occasionally we'd go to, you know, go to watch a movie. Well, you know, nobody said anything to me about it, but the Lord convicted me. Said, now, you know, you're going to serve as an official in this church to support the church and the pastor. And you're not going to keep these doctrinal commitments. Is that right? And I realized that wasn't right for me. So you might not think that's a big thing, but we gave up movies. We didn't go to movies while I served. That wasn't a big thing, but it was, it was just an illustration that if you're going to go further with God, if you're going to do something for the Lord, it's going to cause you and cost you the laying aside of something. Nobody's exempt. Amen. So, so, uh, qualify yourself and volunteer. Now, uh, I would like to, you know, when, when, when I teach, I give illustrations of, of things that I've done that have proven to be right and how God's blessed me, but I haven't always gotten it right. And there were times when I didn't do what I should have done and it cost me. I'll give you an illustration. I was in the church there, in the church of God, and I, uh, I sang. And when, now, we had what we called an open choir, where on Sunday morning, they just, anybody who wanted to sing came up to the choir loft, or whatever you call it, you know, the seats up behind the pulpit, and everybody who wanted to come to the choir came to the choir. It wasn't a rehearsed choir. It was just an open choir, and that's just, that was a tradition in the church of God. And unfortunately, it, it, it devolved into this group prays and worships, worships the Lord, and this group enjoys it. 
listens and with a big smile on their face. My mom was one of those. She just, she just loved it. You know, she didn't participate, but she just loved it. And, and it had a church full of people out there. They sat and stared and, and some had happy smile looks on their face and some didn't, you know, but they, they were the audience and the choir was the worshipers, you know, and anybody could get into that. Well, I, you know, I grew up that way. So I started going to choir. All of my hippie buddies were all in the choir, you know, singing and, uh, so, you know, as, as, as things progressed over, over the next couple of three years, you know, uh, I don't know why I, I was, I began to, at this time in the church of God, I began to detect that there was a, a, a calling on my life for full-time ministry. And I had this ability to teach the Bible by the spirit that, you know, there was an anointing to teach and, uh, I decided I was too good. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't consciously you know, process this, but looking back, I think I decided I was too sharp, too good, too anointed to sing in the choir. And, and by this time they had started developing a little more training in the choir. And so, uh, we had a special, uh, arrangement and we did a cantata one year and that required, uh, was that a Christmas? Yeah, it was a Christmas cantata, and uh, and that required weeks and weeks of of rehearsal stuff, and I was a part of that. But when the next one came around, I decided, you know, I'm not going to be in this anymore. I'm just not going to be in the choir. And the worship uh, leader, minister of music, came to me and said, "When you know, aren't you going to serve in the? You know, aren't you going to be in the choir?" I said, "No, I don't, I don't want to be in the choir. I don't really have any reason except I just thought, you know, I'm done with that." And he said, "Come on, man." He said, "We need you." In the choir. I said, no, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm just, and he persisted and I persisted. And I just finally said, no, I'm not going to do it. And he said, well, okay, you know. So I didn't do it. Well, you know, the Bible says you reap what you sow. And that works positively and it also works negatively. Because if you sow anything, good or bad, you reap that. That's a, that's a spiritual law. But there's also the other part of it, the neutral side of it is if you re, if you sow nothing, you reap nothing. Well, I didn't have enough sense to realize that one day I was going to need worship leaders and I was going to need people to, it did, I mean, it occurred to me. And here I was, I was sowing nothing into my future. And I didn't realize this until several years after we'd been pastoring, when we first started our church, Guess where our big weakness was? Singers and musicians. We started the church and we had nothing. Now, on Thursday nights, when we, we did meetings out in Fort White on Thursday night and on Sundays. On Thursday night, uh, uh, what's his name? De- uh, came with us. Don Booth. Don Booth came with us from Jacksonville and he would play his guitar and he would lead singing in the Hickson's house out in, in Fort White and uh, on Thursday nights. And on Sundays, though, it was up to me. And so I, you know, they, it was just a traditional background. They wanted to start a church. So we started one, you know, and, and I thought, well, I'll stay with you, you know, the story there. And uh, so uh, we, we had to have a Sunday school class and then we had to have morning worship. And but it was all in the same room. It's in the living room of this farmhouse. So I would, I would prepare a Sunday school lesson, a Bible lesson, you know, and then I would lead praise and worship. I'd take that hat off and I'd put on another, it wasn't a literal hat, but I'd put on this other hat and I would lead us a cappella, you know, in, in, in singing. And boy, it was terrible. <laughs> and, uh, 
And, uh, and then I would take that hat off and then I would do the, the, the regular sermon for that morning, you know. So we did that for a number of months. And, and I remember when uh, a lady showed up, our first visitor, I think, who came to our church was the Cornacks, Larry and Tess. I should say Tess and Larry Cornack. Tess came and her husband reluctantly dragged along. But uh, she started coming and she brought a tambourine. And I, before I had hated the tambourine because there was a tambourine player in the, in the, in the Word of Faith church that I went to right before I went to Tulsa and it would, he would give me headaches. And it was, of course, it was a little small room and echoed around and he would beat that tambourine and I couldn't stand it. So she showed up with a tambourine. It was the only musical instrument we had. It sounded so good to me to have any musical instrument. I was just so thrilled that we had a tambourine player. It changed my whole outlook from that day to this where tambourines are concerned. Thank God for tambourines. So we had a tambourine player. But we struggled in that area. And uh, even after we moved out of the, the farmhouse into the woman's club in High Springs and then into the old uh, Baptist church, previously owned Baptist church that we bought, even then we struggled with singers and musicians. Now, now it's all connected because I wouldn't bring my supply. I wasn't sowing a supply. And uh, even, even after we were in, we call it the old church, the, the, the church there in, in High Springs, that, that building, even after we'd been there several years, this was in the early 80s. Uh, I don't remember what happened. I don't remember, I don't remember who we had. This is a long time ago. Matter of fact, my wife reminded me today that next week will be 42 years. Next Sunday will be 42 years from the time we had our first Thursday night meeting in Fort White. When I met with that group 42 years ago, next Sunday morning. But it was a Thursday. And, uh, but some, we had, we had, you know, gone on and we had some kind of music. I don't remember what it was, but something happened and we lost that. We didn't have anything again. And the, and the tambourine player wasn't here anymore. And there was nothing. We had no musicians. We had nobody, no singers, nobody to lead. So guess what? I had to pick up a, an acoustic guitar I had played I had played around with the guitar guitar when I was a teenager because I, I wanted to play rock and roll music, you know. So I had an elect I bought an electric guitar and little amp, you know, and I learned some chords and I and I would learn some little riffs, you know, that I'd listen to a thousand times, you know, on the on the radio and a record, and I'd play a few of those things and and, and I had left that years ago. So I had to get, I had to get an acoustic guitar. I don't remember where I got it, but I found a cheap acoustic guitar and I started learning my chords again. And when I'd learned, relearned about six or eight chords and, and, and my fingers weren't bleeding anymore, you know, because when you first start playing, you know, and, uh, I showed up one Sunday morning and it astonished everybody in the church because pastor's going to lead praise and worship and is going to play again. Does anybody here remember that? Dave and Diane, where, yeah, do you remember that? Were y'all coming? You played the organ. Now, that was one of the people, but this was, y'all don't remember this. What year did you come? You should remember it. But but something happened, and I I don't remember if maybe 
Dave wasn't, I don't remember, but we didn't have anybody. And I played the guitar. And I remember that Sunday morning, everybody went, what are you doing, Pastor? I said, you know what? I'm going to play the guitar. And I played the guitar, not very well, but I played the the, the chords and I had a, a, a reasonable strength of syncopation. I could stay in timing, you know, and I played. And so that went on for a short while. I don't remember how long it was. Maybe Dave stepped up, started playing the organ. I don't know. But, uh, you know, that happened. And, and looking back, I'm thinking, you know what? When you, when you fail a test in God, the test is coming back. It's coming back. You're going to get a chance to be faithful. If you're not faithful and if you don't do what you could do, you're going to get another chance. God isn't going to just go, well, you know, it's all under the water. It, you're going to get another chance. And I had to submit and do something I really didn't want to do and didn't feel like I was qualified to do. But, you know, I, I believe, and I, I won't know until I get to heaven, but I believe I could have averted all of that if I'd have been a little more faithful in the local church. Amen. So uh, pay the price now or pay it later. <laughs> so volunteer. You know, that's an easy thing. Everybody, anybody can volunteer. Just volunteer. Well, I volunteered and they, there wasn't anything for me. Well, just volunteer again. Find another area. But remember, it involves qualifying yourself. Don't volunteer for something and then say, well, I'm not going to abide by those rules. I'm not going to dress that way. I'm going to dress the way I want to. I, 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 I'll serve, but I'm not going to change the way I look. Well, no, you have to, you have to give up something. Like I said, I gave up my lifestyle and, and, you know, as, as a young man and coming up in, in, you know, in that countercultural thing, that was my identity socially. Socially, I identified with that look, that whole persona, that whole, even though I had come out of sin and wasn't, you know, doing the, the bad things I used to do, I still wanted to look like I belonged to that community. And, and I did when I wasn't in church. But in church, I had to change the way I looked. And, and that involved actually cutting my hair. And I'm not suggesting to anybody today, but this was a different time. In order to, to fit in and, and to be acceptable, I had to make some changes. Amen. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it will involve some changes today. You know, you, some things are appropriate for church and some things aren't. Amen. It's not appropriate to come to church in shorts. I'm going to say that again and then and I'm going to repeat it after that. I'm going to say it three times. It's not appropriate to come to church any service in shorts, men or women. I'm going to say it third time. It's never appropriate to come to church in shorts. I'm not talking about now, there's an, ex, an uh, exception to that. When the children are in a program next door where they're wearing shorts because they're going outside, I understand that. But other than that, it's not appropriate to wear shorts to church. Now, you don't have to be led by the Spirit to know that. If you, if, unless you are mentally challenged, unless you're mentally challenged, if you're of average intelligence and you have two eyes, you realize nobody else are wearing shorts. So when somebody comes and uh, they come to church wearing shorts and they belong here and they're here all the time, you got to look around. 
Is, are, is there anybody else in the church? Are other people wearing shorts? No. Well, why would you? Because it's obviously not what's accepted here. And, and what, what is accepted is, is, uh, uh, important. Pastor Greg and I go to, now we're, by the way, we haven't been to Africa in two years because of COVID restrictions and things and, and vaccine requirements and all that. And if we can get, if we can work around the vaccine requirements, uh, we're planning a trip in, in September again, end of September. And, uh, but I remember when, when I started getting this instruction from, from Brother Christopher, Brother Christopher likes to do his crusades very casually dressed. If you've seen him on, on, uh, you know, on, on Facebook or in videos, he wears, you know, jeans and he wears this do-rag. He likes to wear this do-rag. And he says because it's dusty out there. And it is. The fields are dusty and the people start dancing and rejoicing. It's just like a cloud of this brown sand that comes up in the air. So he doesn't like that getting in his hair. I think he just likes the do-rag. But anyway, he wears the do-rag. And, and he wears a, a funky looking kind of, uh, African, quasi African looking shirt, you know, and, uh, tail, you know, shirt tail out and all of that. He likes that. And he wants us to dress that way. And so, but he doesn't really say it that way. He just, but he does say this. He said it repeatedly. He said, leave your suits and ties at home, brother. He said, leave them at home. Well, I go over there. I'm serving, I'm serving Christopher. That's the way he does things. So Greg and I, when we show up to the crusades at night, we don't wear a tie. We don't wear a sport coat or a jacket. We come, you know, casually dressed. Uh, maybe not in jeans, but he didn't tell me to wear jeans. He just said, leave your ties and your suits at home. So we don't wear ties and suits because we, we're submitted to him. But the funny thing happened is uh, we, Christopher started setting this up for us that when we minister... Uh, the crusade usually starts on a Wednesday, I think, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday night, or yeah, Sunday night. Well, Sunday, he, he, he contacts some other pastors that are, uh, you know, cooperating with the, with the crusade, and he gets Greg and I, uh, a place to preach on Sunday morning. So Greg, Pastor Greg goes one way, he preaches in a church somewhere in the city, you know, wherever, like Lusaka, wherever we might be, and, and I preach in another church. The thing is, I get in these other churches and they're all wearing suits. Now, now at that, on that, in that particular situation, I'm submitted to that pastor. I remember one church we went to and Pastor Greg was somewhere else, but I, I walked in and they ushered me into the, into the apostle's office. You know, the, the pastor's office, he, he was also claimed to be an apostle, whatever that was about. But anyway, I went in and met him and uh, everybody's wearing suits. And I don't have a jacket and don't have a tie. And I said, Pastor, I said, uh, you know, I, I apologize. I said, uh, you know, I, 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 want to be, uh, I want to be respectful. But uh, Pastor Brother Christopher told me not to bring anything. And so I didn't bring anything. And, and you know what? I'm glad I, I'm, I, if I hadn't said anything and just gone on out the way I looked, he would probably have never said anything. But you know, he said, well, he said, if we get you a jacket, will you wear it? I said, certainly. So it was important to him. He went and found somebody, one of his men, and they took their jacket off and gave it to me and brought me a tie and I put it on. 
And the jacket didn't fit me. It was big. If I, if I, if I remember right, it was big. It was kind of sloppy looking on me. But you know what? It pleased that pastor and it pleased that church. And I was able to conform to their custom. That's important. Amen. And so when, when folks come in, sometimes visitors come from another church and they're visiting with us. And maybe they wear shorts at their church, but they've been here often enough that we don't wear shorts. And then they show up on Sunday morning, they got shorts. It's not right. That's not what we do. So, well, is that in the Bible? No, it's not. But we, we base our, our, uh, concept of, of looking nice on the fact that we have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as people say, well, I have an encounter with Jesus in my, in my bedroom at 10 o'clock at night before I'm going to bed and I'm in my pajamas and he doesn't, doesn't bother him then. Yeah, but that's different than coming to church. There's, there's a different presence. There's a different degree of the presence of God in your bedroom. And you could have Jesus walk into your bread, bedroom. Now, that'd be glorious. You could have an, you could have a vision, you could have an angel, you could have something glorious happen, but that's not the same thing as the corporate anointing when the church comes together and the spirit inhabits us as a body and the presence of God is here. Jesus comes to visit with us. He meets with us, with us. He calls us, uh, us, us to come together. We ought to show some respect. There ought to be some respect some difference made. And, and, and I don't, you know, I've been, you've been around here at any length of time. You know, I'm not a clothesline preacher. I don't get to preach on this because, uh, uh, it's just, it's just, I understand what's going on in our culture, but shorts, that's, that's a bridge too far. It's just a bridge too far. It's not appropriate. And so, you know, you might have to change something uh, in order to submit to what God is doing or submit to your brothers and sisters. Maybe God's not even in it. Maybe God's not even in it. But what about just submitting to the pastor and submitting to the culture and submitting to the, to, to the, to the combined uh, understanding of the church? Something to say about it. Amen. So qualify yourself, make some sacrifices, do, and do what you're asked to do. I was asked to just simply sing in the choir and I was too cool. No, I don't want to sing in the choir. You know, I'm a teacher. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't sing in the choir anymore. Well, I came back to playing a guitar that I couldn't play and leading worship that I didn't do a very good job, but the Lord had me go back and repeat that. And, and I was, and I was obedient. So demonstrate that that first thing is qualify yourself. Second one is volunteer. Third, do whatever you're asked to do. Yeah, but I don't feel like that's my ministry. Yeah, and, and, and you're not going to find your ministry. You're not going to find your ministry if you won't do something you're asked to do simply because you don't feel like that's your calling. You're, you're going to be you're going to go through a training time and a, and, a, and, a, and a time of proving your faithfulness, proving your submission to the plan of God and just submitting to other people. The Bible teaches submitting to one another. And, uh, and so in order to get into that place, into the perfect will of God, you're, you're going to have to move into the good will of God. And that just in, might in, involve just doing whatever he has to do. 
Then fourth, demonstrate interest in it. You know, you can serve somewhere and, and, and it's all over your countenance. That you are, that you dishonor this that you're doing, that you don't want to do it, that you think it's stupid, it's dumb, it's not you, it's, it's corny. You can, all of that shows up. You might not think you're communicating it, but you are. Shh. Thank you, sister. Yes, that's true. Show some interest, show some sincerity in what you do. Well, I don't feel it. Who cares? Who cares? If you go by feelings, you won't get very far in ministry. I can tell you that. So show some sincerity. Demonstrate, demonstrate some sincerity. So that the, so that the staff you're working in or working with feels like you're actually part of the team. You're not just standing there pouting because you have to serve. <laughs> and and that was number four. Number five, not only demonstrate interest, demonstrate aptitude. What does that mean? That means get good at it. Develop some 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 uh uh you know some some skills. Develop some skills. We can all have more skills. We can develop some skills. If you're in a position and you've been asked to serve and your position is uh, inter- interacting with people, you're going to have to develop some people skills. I don't care how you were raised. You might have been raised in a house where everybody hated each other and, 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 and nobody ever learned to talk to one another civilly and you just have no, you know, have you ever met people that are just grumpy and grouchy and rah, 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 you know, they just don't have any coolness, no class. They just don't have any people skills whatsoever. And then they want to come to church and be the same way. If you're going to serve, in, in any capacity, you're going to have to develop some skills. And you can do it. I don't, I'm trying to remember the name of this. Maybe you can remember. I ordered com, some cassette tapes way back when. Do you remember me getting some? Do you remember what it was called? It's, it had something to do with... Yeah, it, was, it was developing people skills. Because I realized I needed to develop some people skills. For some reason, women generally, not all women, generally speaking, women, females from the very earliest ages, they are more somehow uh, uh, given to, maybe it's society, maybe it's genetic, I don't know, but somehow women tend to develop a little more social graces than a lot of guys do. Anybody, anybody ever seen that? Anybody ever, everybody ever seen that before? I don't know what it's about, but it's true. And, uh, you know, I've always been sort of a, uh, a loner and I don't really care. I don't really need anything. Don't need anybody. You won't bother me. I don't bother you. That's my natural. That's, that's my natural makeup. But I realized early on, I'm going to have to, if I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to have to develop some, 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 some people skills. So I ordered some cassette tapes. Huh? Oh, I, she said, I don't, I don't know if you ever listened to them. Oh, I listened to every one of them. I, I listened to them over and over again. 
I listen to them. Huh? <laughs> yeah, she's going to, she's wanting to get, send them back, get my money, her money back. No, I listened to them over and over again. I think I was embarrassed to listen to them around her. I think is what it was. So I got off by myself and I listened to them. But you know, I had to develop something because I'm dealing with people. And it's not all the anointing. Some of it is just natural skills. And I had to do, and I, I, I don't remember, this has been so many years ago. I don't remember hardly anything about, you know, the various things and the steps there. But one thing I remember, I'll just, can I just share this with you? This will just help you. When you meet new people, ushers and greeters, I just remembered this all of a sudden. I hadn't even thought about it until now. Ushers and greeters, you know how to make somebody feel welcome when they're new, a new person comes in? You know, we're kind of used to, how you doing? You're glad to have you. Thank you, you know. And that's about it. This, this person, this renowned, you know, people person, I guess, said, when, you, when you're introduced to somebody for the first time, you'll feel like you're being over the top, but they won't. This person said, pretend that they're an old friend that you haven't seen in like 15 years. Come up here, Jack. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say, oh, Brother Jack, it's good to meet you. I haven't seen you in 15 years. Now, that would be a dead giveaway, right? <laughs> but he introduces to me. He's, he's a new person. I said, well, glory to God. Good to see you. Good to see. Thank you for coming. What am I? In my mind, I'm pretending like I'm, I'm greeting him as if he was an old friend I haven't seen in 15 years. You know what that person thinks? Well, this person's really glad to see me. You can be seated. Thank you. So I learned that little skill. Instead of, hi, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? And, and, and in their mind, they're thinking, you don't care, you don't care, you don't care. So yeah, I just use that as an illustration. I'd forgotten all about that. But uh, develop some aptitude, some skills in whatever your area is. If you're going to volunteer in a certain, a certain area that, is, that involves technology, you're going to have to study a little bit. You're going to have to, you know, work on it a little bit in your free time. You might have, to, might have to look at a video during the week. Google something. Amen. And then number six, these are all kind of, you know, different parts of the same thing. Do it with all your heart. Do it as unto the Lord with all your heart. Amen. We're still answering the question about how to get involved. And the number seven, be patient. Your gift will develop and surface. And remember, number eight, God rewards faithfulness. And I know that's a lot if you're taking notes. I'll go over it again. Number one, qualify yourself. Number two, volunteer. Number three, do what you're asked to do. That's different than volunteering. If somebody asks you, do what you're asked to do. Number four, demonstrate interest. Number five, demonstrate aptitude. Number six, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. Number seven, be patient. I'm going to talk about seven and eight together. Be patient because your gift will develop and surface, but it won't come overnight. And number eight, remember God rewards faithfulness. Go with me to Acts chapter 9. Go with me to Acts chapter 9. Hallelujah. 
went the wrong way. Acts chapter 9 is back this way. Acts chapter 9. And uh, find Acts chapter 9. And then I'm going to tell you where the next one is. Hold on a second. Uh, Yeah, Acts 26, our vision. Turn over there. Now, hold your place in, in, uh, well, let's read Acts 26. In Acts 26, Paul is telling his story, the story of his conversion on the road to Damascus. Verse 12, and when, while thus occupied, in other words, occupied, going to, from city to city, trying to uh, find Christians and put them in jail. As I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Now, in another place, it might be in chapter 22 or in chapter, chapter 9. One of those two places said this happened at noon. So at noon, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. You might add the noonday sun. When it's right over it, he saw a light brighter than the sun. That'd be like a nuclear explosion or something, brighter than the sun. Shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said to him, uh, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, the next few verses which encompass our vision, he didn't, that's not recorded in Acts chapter 9, what the Lord said to him. All this isn't recorded in Acts chapter 9. It's only recorded here. It's not cha- in chapter 22 either. It's only recorded here. When, when, when Saul of Tarsus had this light from heaven shine on him, and Jesus spoke to him out of that light, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen, talking about that vision, and the things which I will yet reveal to you. He said, I will deliver you from the Jewish, the the Greek says, I will deliver you from the people as well as from the Gentiles. So the translators put in there, the Jewish people, obviously they'd be comparing two different groups. So it's the Jewish people said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. Notice to whom I now send you. So Saul got revelation on day one. That he was going to the Gentiles. Okay? And then, you know, we, we can read the next, rest of this. But to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, Paul continues to speak. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles. Notice he didn't get to the Gentiles overnight. Yet he was told he was going to the Gentiles on the very first day of his conversion. And he didn't get there overnight. I first declared to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. Well, go back over. Let's see how this progressed. Let's look at, at Acts chapter 9. We're reading this story. He felt verse 4. Uh, well, verse 3 is journey. He came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. 
Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Lord, who are you? And the Lord's now when he said, who are you, Lord, that that, you know, the, there's one use of the Lord, which just means a a, uh, a a noble person. You called them a Lord. He wasn't really didn't even know who Jesus. He didn't know who was talking to him. So he wasn't calling Jesus Lord right then. He was just speaking out of honor. Who are you, Lord? I mean, somebody was talking to him. It wasn't one of his companions speaking out of this bright lights. He knew something was going on. Uh, he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the, the pricks or against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord. Now, this is the point where he called him Lord. He got saved right then. Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. But now we already know from what he told in the 26th chapter, that on that day when the Lord spoke, he said all these other things to him about his future. Do you get that? It's all, it all happened. Well, he's just, in, in this account, it's not, it's not shown to us. The Lord said, after saying all these other things, that I'm going to send you to the Gentiles and, and all these things, and you're going to be witnesses to me before all men. All of that the Lord said to him. And then he wrapped it up and said, arise and go into the city, and you will, told, you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days with, without sight, neither, and he neither ate nor drank. Now, you know the story. Does anybody here not know the story of Cornelius? How, or, or excuse me, um, um, Ananias. How he, he was sent to him. We won't read all of that. Ananias was, had, a, had a vision the Lord sent him to him. So Ananias, in verse 17, went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're never going to complete the will of God without being filled with the Spirit. That's the next step. So immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received a sight at once, and he arose and was water baptized. So when, they, when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, that's very important. He spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, if you read the book of Galatians and put all of this together, you'll see that, that evidently between verse 19 and verse 20, he went into Arabia for a short while. And got more instruction from God. And then he returned. Because it said he went into Arabia and he came back. Well the story here has him in, in, in uh, uh, Damascus the whole time. So between verse 19 and verse 20. After he has spent some time with the disciples. He went away into Arabia to get alone with God. And to get some more instruction. Okay. So he comes back. And uh, immediately he preached in, in, in the Christ in the synagogues that he was the son of God. Notice he found what his hand, what was at hand. What his hand found to do, he did it. He, he wasn't ultimately called to the Jews. But the Lord had said, I'll deliver you from them. You go ahead and speak. So he began preaching to the, to, to the Jews in the synagogue 
that Christ is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is not this the the one who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, that he might bring him bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt at Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Uh, Let's keep on reading. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples, here's the point I'm making. He's hanging with the disciples. Now, he got an apostolic call. God was going to send him to the Gentiles. In in the day in which that that was written and that was spoken to him, to be sent to someone is to be sent as an emissary, to be sent on an apostolic mission. He might not have understood the office of the apostle in the New Testament church. I have no reason to believe he did. But he still understood that he was going to be a sent one. But he's, he's, he's hanging out with the laity. And uh, the disciples took him by night and, and uh, led him down through a wall in a basket. And, uh, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples but they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Notice he, 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 he was waiting on, he was willing to take a low place. He knew that he was called to be a leader in the church, but he didn't go to the apostles. He didn't show up on the, at, the, in the, at the apostles club. You know, the officers club of the church, that little, with, you know, that paneled, you know, dark paneled room with all the, you know, well, they didn't smoke cigars, but you know, in other words, he didn't go to the officers club. That, that's the joke I'm trying to get to. He didn't go to the officers club. Okay. He showed up around the disciples. He just hung out with the disciples. He didn't try to make something of himself. He tried to join the disciples, verse 26, but they were afraid of him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. In the, in the book of Proverbs, verse, uh, chapter 18, it says a man's gift will make room for him and will bring him before kings. Whatever God has given you, whatever his ultimate plan for your life is, be faithful in the little things. Don't see that's what I was trying to do. I was too I was too exalted in my mind <clears throat> to be a lowly member of the choir. Because after all, I had a sense that that God was leading me to greater things. So I didn't want to hang out with the choir anymore. Saul didn't make that mistake. He stayed humble in his own eyes and let God do it. But he wasn't doing nothing. Don't We're not talking about doing nothing and waiting on God. He put his hand to whatever was uh, available to him. He had an opportunity to preach in the synagogue and he preached. He had an opportunity to hang out with the disciples and he was happy doing that. He didn't feel like he needed to prove himself to anybody, show up with a certain group, get involved and get, you know, accepted in the clique of the apostles, anything like that. But somebody came along and helped him. Barnabas saw him. Barnabas recognized something on him, took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared that his Apollo, I guess Apollos declared to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. He was in the apostles club. 
He was with the apostles. He was with the elite. But he didn't put himself there. God put him there. There's a lesson there. So he was with them in Jerusalem coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. And disputed against the Hellenists. Now the Hellenists were, were uh, Greek speaking Jews. Uh, they were, they would, you would call them worldly Jews. In, in like, if you compare to the church today, they're Christians, they're worldly Christians. They want to look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world. Well, the Hellenists were Jews who had kind of taken on the culture of the Greeks. So they dressed, instead of dressing like uh, traditional Jews, they dressed like the Greeks. They, they talked Greek talk, you know, Greek lingo. They just acted like Greek-speaking people, and they, and they spoke Greek instead of Hebrew. And uh, they were called Hellenists. Anyway, you took a little lesson there, but that's okay. And, uh, but they, they attempted to kill him, the people in the synagogue, Jews and Hellenists. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to way out, on the, out in the boonies to, to Tarsus. That's like being sent to Mayo. <laughs> Amen. He got sent out to Mayo. I mean, he was, in, he was in the Vatican City and he's been shipped out to Mayo. So he's in, and so he just stayed there. Now, uh, now the story picks up. It says the churches throughout all Judea, Jer- uh, Galilee, and Jerusalem, and, and Samaria, rather, had peace and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. Because, you know, there had been this intense persecution in, uh, a- after Stephen was stoned. And remember, Saul was a young man, and he, he held the clothes. He was like the coat keeper, you know. Of the, he had the coat closet for all the people who laid their, their outer garments aside so they could stone Stephen. Stoning was a bloody, messy deal. You'd get your clothes, you'd get splattered in blood. It was a gruesome thing. So they took their garments off and, and laid them at Saul's feet, and he guarded their garments while they got involved in the bloody work of killing <laughs> Stephen. And it says that he was consenting to Stephen's death. He was just a young man there in Jerusalem. And uh, uh, so all of this persecution took off in Jerusalem. And Saul was given letters from the uh, Jews in Jerusalem to go into all these other cities and persecute Christians. And so the, the persecution was on. Well, when Saul was arrested by the Holy Spirit and 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 and, you know... I mean, he was arrested just as sure as somebody put a gun to his head. Bright light appears to him and he falls on his face and he's blind. I mean, that's pretty much, you know, calls, that's the end of your day. And uh, so that ended the persecution. So there was calm, there was rest, there was peace, glory to God. Now the story in the book of Acts picks up Peter's ministry again. Remember, it started with Peter. Now it goes on Peter's, you know, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. Uh Chapter 11, verse, let's turn over there. Is this okay? It's a Bible lesson. This is good. Now those who, let's get chapter 11, verse 19. Uh, you know, when Peter went to Cornelius' house and brought the gospel, you know, to Cornelius' house, remember uh, when he got back to Jerusalem, he was called on the carpet because they said, you went into a Jew, you went into a Gentile's house and ate with them. And he said, yeah, well, you know, uh, I saw this vision. I saw the sheet drop down. So he went over that whole thing that he had seen and how that he perceived that, that what God called clean, that we, sh- we shouldn't call unclean. And so they heard his story. 
And uh, so he defended himself. And so uh, verse 18 says, when they heard these things, that is the, the brethren in Jerusalem, when they heard these things, this is the church in Jerusalem, they, they became silent. They glorified God saying, well, then God has granted grace to the Gentiles, granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Up until this point, Gentiles had not been preached to. Now it says in, in chapter eight that those who were scattered, uh, those Christians in Jerusalem who were scattered because of the persecution uh, uh, revolving around Stephen, they went everywhere speaking the word, but they were only speaking to Jews. They went to Antioch, they went to different places, but they only preached the gospel to the Jews. Until Peter preached to Cornelius' house, they didn't even consider going to the, going to the Gentiles. They weren't even, Gentiles weren't even in this. They, they didn't think they could be saved. <clears throat> so so uh, uh, that's the story. Now, in Jerusalem, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, that is Antioch in, in Pisidia, uh, uh, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hands of the Lord, hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. So when, Ant, when Barnabas had, had come and seen the grace of God, he was glad, encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then, Par- then Barnabas was prompted by the Spirit. Oh yeah, remember Saul? He's over there in Tarsus. So Barnabas departed to, to, for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him, taught, brought Saul to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Wow, what a thing for, for Saul to be a part of. He was instrumental. He and Barnabas were the first ones to preach the gospel to such a, a degree in a, in a Gentile community. And Christians, uh, believers were first called Christians. Saul was in on that. But you know what? He got there by just taking the low road. I don't mean like bad, but, you know, taking the, the humble road is what I meant to say. Taking the humble road. He didn't try to be an apostle or go with the apostles, but God brought him into that. When the days, in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the spirit that he was going to be, that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now he's become an errand boy. He's just believing the, he's just, he's not preaching. He's just taking it off. I remember Randy Greer. He used to, and he still says this sometimes when, when, when he first graduated from Ramah, you know, he had been in prison for many years and, and God delivered him, changed his life while he was in prison. He became, you know, kind of the in prison inmate ch- uh, uh, chaplain and pastor of that little inmate church, you know, and, uh, and then he got uh, permission and he got paroled supernatural. And then he got permission to go to Raymond because he couldn't even leave Alabama when he got out. He couldn't leave the state. And he got permission to go to Raymond to go to Bible school. And Brother, H- Brother Hagen saw something on his life, though. And he would have him minister at camp meetings. 
And Randy talks about it now. He laughs. He said, yeah, I was the testimony boy. All they wanted to hear was my testimony. Dad said, I want you to come tomorrow night. I'm going to have you give your testimony. And he'd get up. He wasn't there to, to lay hands on the sick, preach on deliverance, you know, cast out devils. He was there to give his testimony. He, was the, he laughs about it. He said, he, he, today, he said, I was the testimony boy. Do you understand that? I was the testimony boy. And I understood that's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to give my testimony and I was supposed to zip my lip and not say anything else. Well, you know, that's humility. God took Randy Greer from being the testimony boy and now he's a prophet. Well, uh, even though Saul had this, I mean, they had a big meeting there in Antioch. I mean, they were on the top of the world. He and Barnabas, they were having this great crusade. Many people were coming to cry. I mean, it was a, he, they, he couldn't walk down the street without some people. Look at there. There goes Saul and, 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 and Barnabas. Look at them. And now he takes a job just doing, running an errand. Something about humility that's important. So they sent it to the, to the elders that were the, you know, the apostles and so forth in Jerusalem by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Then it goes on and talks about uh, how there was, again, it reverts back to Peter's ministry. You know, how, how uh, James was, was uh, the brother of John. Uh, you know, there's Peter, James, and John. It's like, you know, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, you know. This was Peter, James, and John. The, the young people are sitting there, they don't even know what that means. Peter, Paul, and Mary was a folk group in the 1960s. And all the old people laughed and the young people just sat there like, what is that? So it wasn't Peter, Paul, and Mary. It was Peter, James, and John. They were in that, they, that, they had this folk rock group, you know, Peter, James, and John. They were Jesus's folk singers. And, uh, but one of them, one of them was killed. James was murdered. And then when, when, uh, Herod saw that, that the Jews like that said, we'll take Peter. So the rest of the story is how God delivered Peter. So then uh, uh, go down to verse 25, last verse in this, in this chapter. Then Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. Guess what their ministry came, their ministry m- moved from preaching to hundreds and maybe thousands to carrying a package. Being errand boys, but it was still ministry. It was still ministry. When they had fulfilled their ministry, they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark, and they returned to Antioch. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, and it names them. Saul was one of them. He was both a prophet and a teacher. And, uh, but you know, he had never, he had never gone out on any apostolic mis- mission. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Notice they were already called to apostolic ministry. Je- Jesus didn't say, or the spirit didn't say, uh, uh, the Lord, it says the Holy Spirit said, didn't say I'm now calling them. To separate them now to the ministry for which I have called them. So they were already called. Then having fasted and prayed, the elders there laid hands on them and sent them away. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Ghost, 
They went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived in uh, Salamis, they preached the word of the Lord, to uh, the word of God, to the synagogues and the Jews. And then it, this is the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. Paul is noted in the annals of church history as having three profound missionary journeys. This is the first one. But guess where he started? He started by joining himself to the disciples. Not looking for glory, not looking for to be in, in the great, you know, the club of the cool guys, you know. He, they, he just wanted to do what he could find to do. Just whatever he could set his hand to do, he's willing to do. And he was not too big after going from, from, from preaching this great crusade in Antioch. He was not too big. Unlike me, he was not too big to take this lowly job of just taking this package. Hallelujah. Be patient. Turn to Proverbs 18. We'll look at this verse. I've quoted it, but you ought, to, you ought to read it. and You ought to mark it in your Bible. You ought to mark, and I'm going to tell you, you ought to have this scripture underlined in your Bible. And if you have a Bible that's too precious to underline in, keep it. That's wonderful. Keep it and dust it off and keep it in a, in a prominent place, but buy you a cheaper Bible that you can write in. And uh, Proverbs 18 And verse number 16, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Whatever God has gifted you in, it'll make room for you if you'll be faithful. Be faithful. Go from the goodwill of God. Volunteer. Find out what you can do. Develop some some aptitude, some skills. And guess what? You will move up into something of greater responsibility. It's not that one thing is more important in the church than something else. They're all important. But we have different functions. And and there will always be the need of entry-level type of, of, of ministries. And there are people who will forever be at that. They'll be involved, say, in ushering and greeting all of their life. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, you can take some leadership in that. You can take leadership in the ushering and greeting. Curtis served as the head usher for years. The Lord dealt with me to to bring uh, Zach in, and Zach's the head usher. And, you know, I I didn't choose somebody out of the choir to be head usher. I chose somebody who was serving. And not only were they serving, they were serving with with aptitude, with skill. And and their heart was in it. And, And they were faithful. And they were excited that's who, that's who God was looking for. It wasn't just me. I, I was led of the Lord to appoint Zach. We have others that work in that department. And they take on more responsibility. Listen, the more, you're, the more devout, dedicated, consecrated you are, the more responsibility God will give you. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.